Culture and Psychology with Tabana. A very warm hello to our Radio Bondad listeners. Um, once again, I'm sitting with Dr. Alexandrati and um, my friend, Dr. Um, Daniel Rockers. So three of us are uh, just here and we want to talk about some safety issues and some uh, reactive uh, processes during some emergencies. Uh, Dr. Andrade started telling us a story about uh, his uh, observing uh, a situation and we decided to share with our listeners so maybe we can help some of the prevention issues from a danger. So Go ahead, Dr. Andrade. Yeah, thank you, Sade. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad to be able to bring up this topic. Uh, and here in Sacramento, uh, there are several bodies of water that are very popular during the summer seasons. And with summer and, and COVID reducing and summer starting, a lot of people are going out, uh, swimming, getting sunburned, uh, and trying to enjoy summer as best we can. Uh, this recent weekend, I uh, went with my family to uh, one of the local kind of bodies of water uh, here in the Sacramento area. And unfor- unfortunately, a, a bit of a tragedy occurred. Uh, I don't know all the details and I don't want to add any more than is kind of necessary. But basically, a, a young child was uh, either swimming or near the shore and uh, for whatever reason uh, became, you know, was underwater and for a long extended amount of time, um, lifeguards had to perform CPR and ambulance and emergency personnel had to come. And so it was, I, I, given what had happened and definitely con- the concern about, you know, public and people's reactions, as well as even uh, my own family members, uh, I, I thought it would be important that we talk about kind of summer safety issues. Uh, and then also as well as, you know, how do we react to trauma in the moment? I think a lot of people have a lot of reactions some can be maybe a little bit more healthy or more adaptive. Uh, some people get very curious. And so they're wanting to go and ask the personnel who are performing the, the services questions and try to help in some way. And so I was thinking we can talk about maybe some of the things that we've seen, some of the things we maybe recommend, as well as even just, uh, you know, trying to, you know, simple things is even water safety, uh, given, you know, summer is starting to happen and we're wanting to enjoy those things. I think it's important to, have fun and go out and, you know, socialize, but then also too, at the same time, we want to be safe and healthy. Yeah. And I was going to say, I wonder why they haven't assigned an adult whose only task is really keeping an eye on a child because it's so important to know the sign of drowning and also just uh, not leaving the children out there without really watching them carefully. Because this is uh, because we know that children can be drawn even in a few inches of water, you know, not to say in the lake or um, river, but um, that's the number one thing that we should probably um, be be careful about and um, condescence. I was just trying to say the word, but um, it's so important to watch the children and have an assigned person to watch the kid. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that can happen so quickly and you just think, oh, okay, well, they'll be all right or nothing will happen. Um, even around swimming pools, <clears throat> so it was important if a child can't swim, 
be able to have a life jacket on. I think it's one of those things at first it can feel like, well, you know, you don't have to, and there's enough people around, but kids are quick. They just move so quickly. And especially if they want to do something, they want to put their foot in, or they want to, you know, sit near the the edge before you know it, you know, they've, you know, fallen in. So uh, yeah, rather than try to watch them every second, uh, you know, definitely, I think it's kind of maximizing the support in that way, you know, let everybody know, hey, so-and-so can't swim, they need to have their life jacket on. Um, yeah, my, my family, there's, you know, rules where, if, you know, the kids are going to be in the water, they have to wear their life jacket, uh, you know, and usually a couple of us uh, parents, adults are trying to to watch them too. But yes, yeah, still even then it's like, hey, where'd so-and-so go? You turn around and they're, you know, 20 feet away from you. Um, and definitely can be scary when it comes to, you know, water and how quickly those things can kind of happen. Yeah, it only takes a moment to flip below this. Yes, and uh, what's that? I said, especially in the river and the current of river, you know, because all of a sudden the depth can be changed. And um, we have seen so many issues with the river, um, you know, emergencies that people have run into. Um, well, you know, in my experience, uh, three of the teenagers that uh, I knew one of them, I think alcohol is also something that they have to be very careful and let um, the teenagers know the danger of uh, drinking and swimming. And it just happened, I guess, in the evening that three of the teenagers, one of them was a student um, of one of the teachers I knew that three friends, they go by the river, they start drinking and they have jeans and t-shirts. Imagine they just go to the water and then who knows what happened, but three of them lost their lives, you know, wow. not um, knowing that what can happen in the river when especially in the evening, nobody's around. And then uh, they probably were drunk and uh, they, they just lost their lives. And it was the saddest thing when I went to their funeral. Um, it, it was just a huge funeral. I hadn't seen any funeral like this. It was just like five years ago. But the saddest thing is to um, see, um, you know, the parents are left with ever sadness. So we have to really let our teenagers especially know that, you know, drinking and swimming, especially in any situation, the worst would be the river and um, the current of the river can just take them. Yeah, the other thing that can happen too, um, I'm Parents used to talk about someone locally that had gotten into the river. You can get tangled up in like the algae, you call it. So that's one thing. And then if you get frantic underneath, it's easy to forget which way is up. And oh. if you're swimming at night, then it becomes even harder because if your eyes are open, it'd be dark going up. And then that frantic state of mind, thinking clearly often. Right. So Dr. Andrade, you were witnessing the reaction of people. Can you talk about that too? So we know psychologically, we each have a different reaction when an accident happens. Yeah, I think that's an important piece too, is thinking about the listeners in regards to how do, you know, the different ways that we find sometimes ourselves reacting as well as even, you know, what we 
what ways could be helpful uh, given the situation. Um, so one of the things I observed is uh, a lot of individuals kind of rushed over to that area. I think people are, are naturally curious. I think it can be sometimes construed as like being nosy or, you know, being like morbid. They want to see, you know, somebody, you know, hurting or suffering. I think it's more of like curiosity, wanting to know and, and understand what's happening even if they can't help anything. And I think it's, it can be a little disturbing to the scene too, in regards to the emergency personnel doing what they need to do. I did notice a, a, an individual kind of rush over there uh, as it started to happen. And I, I kind of assumed, I always find like people who are like, you know, nurses or, you know, EMT or, you know, kind of some type of, uh, you know, police, things like that will rush sometimes a lot faster than anybody else. And so I actually asked her, I was like, are you a nurse or something? She's like, yeah, I used to be EMT. And so it, it kind of made sense. You know, those people kind of are so used to kind of jumping into action and offering that help and that support. While others were, I think, just kind of out of curiosity, kind of what's going on, what's happening. And so uh, during that time, I stood back just wanting to keep the scene you know, less crowded as possible. And also I was with family too, uh, younger uh, family members and wanting to make sure that they were okay and that they were, you know, understanding kind of what was going on. So, um, you know, there can be a lot of confusion and, and a lot of fear in those situations. So, yeah, with my family members wanting to make sure that they were okay and not confused or, or overly frightened in that situation. But yeah, I think a lot of people react. And, and I also noticed people started to kind of share information as they were walking away from the scene even too. And so, and I think that can be kind of helpful to some degree and people wanting to understand and what's going on. But then also too, I think it can be kind of scary in a way because you're disseminating information that you only know so much because so it creates this even heightened sense of like, oh my God, this thing is happening right now. So yeah, a lot of different kind of reactions and responses that I noticed. Yeah. So the cortisol and epinephrine um, start kicking in, and mm -hmm. that's when the anxiety comes, and it's natural to feel that uh, in case of, you know, events that are not pleasant. So um, we have to just realize that um, anything that we see that is uh, very scary could affect our physics and could affect our sleep, could affect, um, you know, our future even sometimes. So it's important to always expect the unexpected. So when we go somewhere, we have to be prepared. Um, and, and the only thing is, if we cannot help, just try to get the children away so they don't watch the scene, because that can affect them for the future. And also, if we cannot help, try to get away because mm -hmm. I even remember one of the incidents that happened in one of our gathering, one mm -hmm. of the even young people among the group that was there, all of a sudden uh, fell and uh, it was a blackout. And um, that was the, I guess she has uh, low blood. The, uh, the iron in the blood is really low and she is aware of that. But that night she had drank um, a glass of wine and then had already taken a painkiller. Um, so anyways, uh, and then all of a sudden everybody was around her. And now we are talking about, you know, out of love, out of uh, worry. But then the person who was there could help, you know, just probably preferred nobody around. 
Um, but I guess it's just the natural reaction that you feel if you stay away, it seems like you don't care, but actually you care if you stay away. Yeah, I think it's a balance. Yeah, if you can help, then trying to offer that. Uh, but yeah, if there's like literally people, you know, clamoring around, then it can definitely be almost, you know, difficult or overwhelming, especially the people who are trying to help in that way. So, you know. All right, we will give a break and we come back to continue our conversation. شنوندگان عزیز رادیو بامداد اگر رادیواتون رو تازه باز کردین و صدای ما رو به زبان انگلیسی میشنوین من به همراه دوتن از دوستان و همکارانم دکتر الکساندر رادی و دکتر دانیل راکرز امروز در خدمتون هستیم و در مورد مسائل امرجنسی یا اورژانس که اتفاق میفته ریاکشن های ما از نظر روانشناسی و اینکه بهترین کاری که میتونیم بکنیم چی هست صحبت میکنیم اگه تازه رادیواتون رو باز کردین و صدای ما رو میشنوین و فکر میکنین کسانی هستن که ترجیح میدن به زبان انگلیسی گوش بدن برنامه روانشناسی رو ازشون دعوت کنین روزهای شنبه و یک شنبه از ساعت دوازده تا یکی بعد از ظهر به برنامه ما توجه کنن We're back with Dr. Alexandrani and Dr. Daniel Rockers, uh, two of my friends and colleagues from Tavana Organization. Uh, Tavana is a nonprofit organization supporting people with um, any individuals uh, with psychological and cultural issues. We always believe in culture, importance of culture, which is part of a person. And we are happy to be here and working with Radio Bombdad. And if you're listening to us uh, in the past session, we were talking about emergencies and um, how people react psychologically and what would be the best really in case of emergency. I wanted to mention to this idea of the uh, bystander effect. I don't know if you guys are f- familiar with this or recall this. It's a social psychology kind of idea where when there's a, a crisis or an emergency situation, everybody else kind of assumes that somebody is getting help. And so it's one of those things too, where ever since learning this years ago, I always think, am I one of those people who isn't offering help right now where I could be offering help? Uh, but then I think of the things that we were just talking about, then I don't want to interfere as well. And so it's tricky. There have been times where I've been driving and I've seen a car accident occur. Uh, and, you know, I've got on the phone and called 911 and said, hey, I'm over here. There's just, you know, car accident. Um, and so people, you know, where it's, it wasn't uh, times where I can stop. So it was like, okay, it was like the other side of the, the expressway or whatever. 
um, a freeway and, you know, I'd call and then, you know, be like, okay, you know, I did my part. Uh, and so I think it's one of those things where it, it can be tricky for individuals sometimes to, to know, like, when do you get involved and when do you not? Um, what have your guys' experiences been with kind of like trying to, to make sense of that? Like, when do you get involved and when do you not? Because I think it can be tough sometimes for people to kind of figure out and when to make that decision. So we can help versus kind of being in the way, as well as even just assuming that somebody else is helping. I generally figure I'm not the one to help because I haven't been aimed in the emergent. Like some years ago when I worked at the hospital, psychologist at the hospital, we had to be trained in CPR. Alex, are you trained in CPR too? Yeah, yeah, I've been trained in CPR, yeah. I was trained in CPR and did it and renewed it each year, but I never did that to a live person or mm -hmm. someone recently not alive. And I would not feel that. I was like, I bet I wouldn't do it, even mm -hmm. though it's there. I had not been around it enough. So for me, I guess if absolutely no one else was there, but I would not be the first one to jump up and say, hey, I can do it. I don't know. I want to get in the way of somebody who does not. Yeah, I guess. I've heard the I've heard the term social loafing too. I remember one of my professors. Right. I don't I often don't think it is social in those situations. Social loafing being the idea that there's so many people around, we always assume that somebody else is to take care of it. You've heard of that too, Saide? Yes, absolutely. In social psychology. There you go. Tell us more. <laughs> no, I just all all I know is there are different ways we behave around people socially. One of the issues that I know is when there are a bunch of people in the crowd and an emergency happens, uh, pretty much is our natural reaction that we think probably somebody is going to take care of this person. So we stay away. And then uh, rather than really thinking that I may be the one that needs to let 911, uh, this is happening, or maybe if I know how to help even a little uh, rather than just a stay away, but we always tend psychologically to think that somebody else is there to work. And in social loafing, and when there's a group or there's a big, um, you know, uh, crowd that, um, you know, everybody is busy doing something, we just feel like, okay, I mean, they're doing it. So why should I even get involved, even in group work or tasks that we have? But the issue in, in uh, emergency basically is the fight or flight issue that happens mostly naturally. And that is um, described as the changes in adrenal gland that happens. Uh, so uh, it's the matter of fight or flight. Some people just immediately get away and, and run from the, the situation. And some people are more curious, even though they're afraid, they want to stand and watch to see finally what happens. Um, you know, we've seen so many different reactions. And I guess some people get frantic. They can be productive. They can do anything except the screaming and calling for help. Some people roll up their sleeves and then come to help. I've been in a situation in the airplane that I have seen someone getting to a point that they didn't know whether um, he's losing the life or they can bring the life back. And I noticed that there's some people to jump in, put the water, start massaging, start doing different things. And there are doctors in the airplane 
that uh, they come forward and they say, can I do anything? I'm so-and-so doctor, I'm pediatrician. I'm not really cardiologist, but I can just help to see, you know, what's going on. So people react differently. Reminds me of a joke I always make, uh, you know, people are always like, oh, you're, you're a psychologist, you're a doctor. Oh, you know, what kind of medical doctor? Are they? Oh, no, I'm a psychologist, different kind of doctor. So I always jokingly say, well, if there was an emergency and someone was bleeding, I'd say, you know, are you bleeding for attention? Were you not hugged enough as a child? You know, why do you feel like you need to bleed in this way? Um, and it's just to make light of this idea, I think, as we're all kind of alluding to, we can sometimes feel underqualified. Uh, to, to help in those emergency situations. But uh, like you said, Daniel, you know, having done the, the um, first aid and CPR, I, I do not feel like the first person who's going to offer to jump in those situations. But again, it's one of those things where I've done the training and I, you know, I hope if, you know, it, it came down to it and I was the only person there too. Uh, you know, I wouldn't take a poll and be like, okay, does somebody else feel more qualified? Like, I, I don't know at which point, I would just immediately be that first person to jump in. But I do know, I do have a sense of like wanting to, to kind of like help. I, I have noticed too, even in witnessing this, my, my focus is the crowd more so than like the individual, not, not putting one over the other necessarily, but just, I find in order for the individual to get the help and support they need, you know, the, the crowd, I always feel like it just, it, it's, it's something that's harder to maintain, but can definitely impact what is happening in that way. So I, I find myself in those, those crises. I've been in a couple of situations uh, over the course of my career. I find I'm attending to the crowd and, and asking people, are you okay? You know, sit down, you know, drink some water. Um, so, because when, when something happens that could be like scary, a lot of people have a lot of strong reactions and, and you don't know how much it's going to you know impact them as well as even linger. So in that moment, just trying to calm them, soothe them, give them some support in that way. I find in, in that chaos that ensues, um, given individual's own, you know, life experiences, it can kind of spark a lot of different things for them as well. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to also, I know one of the things we were mentioning earlier, too, is in regards to, you know, when these types of emergencies happen, you know, what are those ways that, you know, we, I think, in that moment, respond and react. And from a psychological perspective, I was thinking even, you know, uh, you know, a lot of times people are familiar with the word, uh, you know, the term, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, but there are also some diagnoses uh, that are previous to that diagnosis, uh, acute stress disorder, um, which is in, a, in a, even a shorter amount of time than the post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, there's no immediate kind of diagnosis for, you know, when a, a crisis happens or a trauma happens in that moment. And there are even, uh, I know, like, for example, uh, the... Um, different associations we've been part of there have even been like individuals who are responsible for like uh, you know crisis or response emergencies and there are some things that people can do in that moment to help provide support psychologically in that way but i think also too it depends on the situation um just wanted to get your guys's you know take on you know kind of what you've heard or what you've seen in regards to just, you know, offering that immediate kind of response support or even like positions that you've heard of that do that. Because I know uh, SVPA used to have a Sacramento Valley Psychological Association had a uh, emergency response individual. Are you guys familiar with any other organizations or groups that do that or what are those roles entailed? Is that the critical incident debriefing? Yeah. 
sort of mm -hmm. thing. I don't yeah. know about that. I never have, so I don't know what, to me, without, again, I'm speaking not without, I'm speaking without some training. But if you think about what people need in such situations, in trauma situations, whether it's the person in the trauma or observing the trauma, and we, psychologically, the, one of the big problems is the feeling of loss of. So what we can do to help these situations is to structure situational, psychologically structure, because in the feeling of loss of control, we need support. And that can be true of every single one of us. There isn't any person alive. I've come to believe this having worked with lots of, there is no person alive who could not be destabilized by a tragedy. Everybody can be destabilized psychologically. Totally believe. Because naturally a lot of things happen in our body. And as you guys were talking, I was just thinking, it's all about the brain and the hormones. What happens in hypothalamus, it activates adrenal cortisol, um, and then the hormone, uh, specific hormone really releases at that time, or in pituitary gland, um, the acetylcholine is going to be secreted. And then when acetylcholine arrives, I know for our listeners, maybe this is too much, but I'm just thinking, um, it just all happens in the hormone and in the system of our body in our brain that definitely affects our physical reactions and definitely affects our psychological reactions. And then that's why it affects our sleep. That's why it affects our behavior. So all these hormones in our body, they start to affect our sympathetic nervous system. They start to affect our overall nervous system. And all of that it's really a shock to our body and affects our mind, affects our behavior, affects our pain. We may get body pain and we don't know where the body pain is coming from. It's because of our hormones and because of all that shock our body has gone through. So you think about that flood of chemicals washes into throughout the body. And the purpose of that, if we think back in an evolutionary sense, the purpose of that is activation so we can fight or flee. from. Right. And then um, com the combination of hormones in the bloodstream, uh, it creates, as you said, the response of fight or flight. And we have seen that in the elementary school, in preschool, they teach the kids how to be aware of fire, when they hear the drill, they prepare us for those types of things. But I haven't seen to talk about drowning, to talk about the overall safety. Usually we talk about fire because that's the thing that happens really quickly and, and we have to really teach them. But I think teaching kids safety from the time they can understand is really important so that at least they have a mindset that things may happen rather than worry them that maybe they can we can walk them through that what they can do if you're prepared then um, your mind is ready and it doesn't go to the shock we are at another break at this point so we come back and continue our conversation شنوندگان از رادیو بامداد اگر تازه رادیواتون رو باز کردین صدای ما رو به زبان انگلیسی میشنوین 
من به همراه دوتن از همکارانم دکتر دانیل راکرز و دکتر الکساندراده امروز در خدمتون هستیم داریم صحبتهایی در مورد مسائل امرجنسی می کنیم که چطوری از نظر روانشناسی ذهن ما در دوچاره شک میشه چه اثراتی رو بدنمون میذاره و چطوری ما میتونیم کمک کنیم به بچه هامون به خودمون که ریاکشنامون یا اکسالعملامون به هر حال بهتر باشه و بتونیم سریعتر کمک بگیریم یا کمک بدیم برمیگردیم در خدمتون هستیم دنباله صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم اگر کسانی هستن که فکر میکنین به زبان انگلیسی ممکنه برشون بهتر باشه برنامه های روانشناسی رو گوش بدن ازتون خواهش میکنم دعوتشون کنین روزهای شنبه و یه شنبه از ساعت دوازده تا یک بعد از ظهر به برنامه ما توجه We're back with Dr. Alexander Roddy and Dr. Daniel Rockers and we continue our conversation about emergencies, reaction that we have uh, at the time of emergency. Uh, if we are the victim, uh, what would go through at that time in our mind and in our body if we are observing what happens and all of that we have been talking about so far. I think we kind of wrapped up on a, before the break on a, an important point that we can spend a little bit more time on too, uh, because there is things, there are things that I know that we can do to be prepared when something does happen. There are kind of, I think of it as these things that make a person resilient. And I think it's hard because if we're thinking only after the fact, it's hard to go back in time and kind of build those things up. And so, yeah, there can be some things that we, we kind of highlight now. And, and you guys kind of alluded to some of them, too. I, I don't have extensive list, but I'm thinking just the three of us talking, we probably can uh, identify several of those things that we've heard over or have learned over uh, over the years. Uh, one that I know that's extremely important um, is just the idea of like social support, being able to, you know, talk with others about kind of what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're experiencing, knowing that there are others in our life that we can come to 
and, and talk about these things. I, I'm just thinking of my own experience even too, just in, in you know, when all this happened uh, over the weekend, you know, I talked with my brother about it a little bit at that point. He was there, um, talked to my mom. She actually called and checked in on me, which was, as you guys were both talking, I was thinking, I was like, when she called, I was like, why are you calling me? Like, I'm fine. And given that this is, you know, things I hear about and, and, and things I've, I, I know happen, uh, it, at the time it was kind of shocking to me. I was like, why are you calling me? You know, but uh, in hearing you two talk, I was thinking, oh, she was, you know, my social support. She was kind of checking in on me. And then even being able to kind of talk to you two about it and process this, uh, it's kind of helped me to, given that I've seen that um, and witnessed that. So I think, uh, you know, the importance of being able to, to, take it to people that you trust and you care about and know that they can sit with those feelings. I think that can be very challenging and difficult for some people too. I've seen people react to those situations like, Oh, let's not talk about it. Or I don't want to talk about death or I don't, you know, that that's, you know, let's, you know, bad stuff happens to, you know, bad people. They must've done something where it's like, no, that's not the case. It's like, let's allow those feelings to kind of be discussed. Right. And also uh, Alex, as you were saying that your mom immediately contacted you, it's funny because as a mother, I can totally relate to why your mom calls you. I hear an accident somewhere in the city. I immediately call my son. And because mm -hmm. the first thing goes to your mind, what if he was passing around that area and this happened? And, and as mm -hmm. soon as he responds or he just, or, or I text, I feel like, oh, okay, so he's okay. So I relate to that because we just want to make sure our loved ones are okay. But anytime I hear anything happened or somebody lost their lives due to the accident, I just immediately put myself into the shoes of the parents and, you know, just feel like, oh my gosh, what they're going through. You know, it's, it's very, very difficult to put yourself into this situation where they are experiencing. But I was also thinking of, um, you know, the police officers and the fire uh, firefighters, they um, are trained to take care of things. But a lot of times they're tired and that weakens their connections um, in neural system. Um, and, and it just makes them hard sometimes for them. It makes it hard for them to make decisions immediately. That's why they usually come in a group and that encourages each other to help. Because a lot of times even you hear that research says that police officers or firefighters um, have a difficult time if they're just single-handed to take care of things because it's so difficult um, with the um, issues that happen psychologically in the mind, even the ones that we feel they're experts. Sometimes you need support. Yes, and that trauma can accumulate in first responders. We are, often see that, or at least I see that in my practice where I have different first responders coming in for treatment. That uh, The traumas do accumulate if we, probably if we do process them, but certainly if we don't process them. And processing is like what you talked about, Alec. So very important to to know. I think some of the defense mechanisms, let's talk about that, that people use. Alex, you started on some of those, I think. I'm forgetting here. I don't know, kind of dismissing it, blaming the victim is something that people would do, um, sometimes minimizing it. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different ways. I think people 
people do that just to prevent the weight or the impact of that trauma or that stressor from consuming them. But I think what happens is it's a, a temporary fix. It's like, okay, yeah, we're not going to think about it or yeah, we're not going to talk about it. But that doesn't mean that our mind doesn't continue to think about it or we don't feel the feelings that we feel. And so, yeah, it can be very limited in that way. It, it can seem like it's helping us, but if we decide to be silent about it and not talk about it, um, yeah, it can impact the person way more than they even realize sometimes. Yeah. You can't unsee what you've seen or yeah. un unexperience what you've experienced there. The thing that can happen is that uh, I think one of you mentioned it, the numbing like a psychological numbing or blocking out when we block out some of the emotion that might come up. And generally when we block out emotions that come up like that, we're blocking off a whole range of emotions across the board. And so then we become a little hardened and it's a little more difficult to connect with such people. Sometimes people use humor as well. It can be dark humor, distancing humor. Side yeah. I was going to say, um, you know, emergencies like that, that the shock that happens to you, it drains the serotonin and dopamine down to a level below the norm. And that impairs decision making and cognitive function. All of that really has a reason why people behave the way they do. Imagine all of a sudden your serotonin or dopamine drains to a point that you can't even make a decision. That's why you go numb. That's why you, you can't do anything, you know? And sometimes people blame each other that they go, why don't you do something? Why don't you, why are you standing? And without even showing any emotions, it's not that. It's because we each have different way of reaction. And if the dopamine and the serotonin all of a sudden drops in some people way below norm, that's how they react. And we have to understand of all these, you know, um, hormones and all these internal reaction that our brain, uh, it happens in our brain that shows in our behavior and in our reaction. Well, it reminds me like you were saying a moment ago, Dan, too, the idea that loss of control and trying to regain that, I think, as much as we can in those different ways. And we may not be able to to change what has happened, but by being able to talk with others, even uh, as you're mentioning, Sade, recognizing that it, it's normal for to some degree, our body's going to react in that way. We may find that we we really jumped in the action, or, or we didn't. We pulled back. Um, I, I think this is one of those things that we can come to learn about ourselves, as well as you know, in talking about like firefighters and first responders, you know, a, a lot of times that's why the training that they have is so rigorous because even with all of those emotions, they still go back to that training that they have. So they, they kind of know what to do. And, and that's an interesting point that I didn't know that. I mean, think about that, but to be able to do that, a team makes it even maybe more efficient in that way. And so, you know, that can be something that I think individuals can take from it in regards to knowing how we maybe responded. We, we find how we respond sometimes, but then also thinking, you know, uh, and reflecting on how do I want to respond in those situations? Do I want to, maybe, you know, 
taken to, you know, consider whether I can be calling 911, you know, do I want to, um, I know I can get overwhelmed and I may not be so helpful, so I can't jump into action, but let me like pull back and maybe support the people I'm with, or I'm just thinking of like, how can we grow from that and learn from that? Not that we're, not that we're wanting to, or can we anticipate, you know, whatever that next emergency situation might be, but it doesn't have to be something I think we blame ourselves for, or criticize ourselves for. It's not, it's not natural in that way. It's not like, oh yeah, this is how you know people don't talk about it. Oh, this is how I react in in emergencies. I know some people will say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm really good in emergencies, uh, but that doesn't mean that they feel good about emergencies. They just kind of either find that out about themselves, or sometimes in the line of work that they, they do or the experiences they've had before, that's kind of the role or the reaction that they take on. Yeah, I have a good example of that, too, that um, my girlfriend's son works at a sanctuary farm. I think I may have talked about this, where we encountered rattlesnake. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he picked that up. And afterwards, he picked it up with the tongs or the forks. But I asked him afterwards, I said, wasn't your heart pounding when you did that? Because mine was pounding just watching him do it. But he says, no, it happens to me afterward. So somebody like that's probably very good in emergency. I mean, even when that snake come rifling out of that from under the door, he was calm and he directed people to do what to do. Mm -hmm. So it's good to have a mental preparation because I was just thinking we talked about the time of COVID and when the fire happened all at the around the same time. And I remember a lot of people were panicking. But at that time, I remember we talked about this, having a mental preparation. It just helps you. What steps do I take in case of emergency? What do I do? Because when mentally you're prepared, then you bring it in the paper in case of like fire, in case of flood, in case of um, natural disasters. But when it comes to uh, disasters that are unexpected, like accidents, um, car accidents, your boating, you know, something happens. But um, one thing that we always do when we go out for sports or hiking or activities, one of the things um, are always tend to do, we are tend to do is making sure each person has a body to a, a friend, a person that always watches so we know who we have to watch to make sure they're coming, they're around, they're not missed. And I think it's important in a group that people watch each other, you know, just be prepared, not only mentally, but also in um, actual activities or thinking about emergencies, what do I do? So be prepared. That reminds me too, even they say, you know, have an emergency plan for, you know, evacuating your home. And so it's not, I don't think it, of it as, you know, living in fear and anticipating the worst case scenario, but being safe and prepared as we can. So if a fire does break out, you know, we all, you know, go to, you know, meet on the corner or something like that, where, you know, or we all, you know, there's a fire in the front of the house, we'll go here or the back of the house, we'll go this way. And so kind of, again, it's one of those things I think is easily assumed, but to be able to talk about it, I think exerts that, that idea, that sense of control in a situation that we don't have much control over. So at least knowing that there's a plan can make a really big difference as well. Absolutely. And uh, it's important, you know, uh, even I've since the fire that happened, 
I still have my backpack with mm. emergency stuff in it. Because at that point, I remember I thought, you know what, this is important. We need to actually have a backpack with just maybe one or two days um, safety stuff that you can hang on to until help comes. And since then, I still have my backpack and I uh, just went through actually a couple of weeks ago to wash the clothes that was is still in there uh, and it was in the cupboard. So I thought maybe it's, it, it needs to be washed. But I mean, it's always good to have something in the trunk of the car and just ready when something happens. If you want to save your life, you can jump in the car and leave. So if you open the back, the trunk of my car, I have all sorts of things ready. I have a chair. I have cold. Uh, I have clothes for hot weather. I have clothes for warm weather. And I recommend that. I mean, nothing may happen. Now we've passed through one year and thank God nothing happened. But I mean, it's always good to be prepared, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny you mentioned that too, because having lived in California most of my life, you know, I, the only things I have in my trunk are miscellaneous things. I've never felt like I needed to have like, a blanket or like extra food or anything like that. But when I lived in Chicago, given the weather, so, uh, you know, in the winter can be so horrible. You know, I, I was told like, if your car breaks down in the middle of winter, you, you need to have some things. And, and, and actually at one point uh, it was freezing cold and the car I had was an older car and it actually, I broke down like on the freeway. And, and luckily, like I was able to, to, to get a ride uh, to, you know, home uh, probably within the 30 or 40 minutes. But even in that brief time, like it was like freezing cold. If I had to be there for, you know, even an hour or two, like, oh, it, it would have been very difficult. So having a vehicle there, it, you know, it was like, okay, I'm going to have a backpack with a snack, with, you know, gloves, with beanies, with, you know, all of those things to, to be as prepared and safe as I can. I think being now in California again, more often, I, I, I still don't do that. I'll have like maybe an extra bottle of water, but, uh, you know, if I'm just, you know, driving around, but, uh, yeah, if anything, you know, in depending on the climate you live in, it's probably important to be a little bit prepared with those things. Yeah, even in California, now the weather sometimes changes, you know, and especially with global warming, expectations now um, are completely different because things are changing. So it's always good to be prepared. It's always good to know, um, you know, what to do and who to contact or you know, it's always good to just have your phone close to you, making sure, you know, you're just there. Even if you're alone, you have the options of getting help. And also the psychological traps to understand that life-threatening situations can be terrifying and people under severe stress are not usually able to think clearly that that affects their decision-making, their reaction, and, and be aware of that, that there are a number of psychological traps that people can fall into. So, you know, we know that psychological effects can affect your uh, physical appearance or physical even um, motions. You know, some people can't move. They feel like something happened to them physically, but it's just 
such a shock that physically they can't even move. That triggers their preparation. Anxiety takes over, you know. And I think along those lines, too, it's important to try to be aware and be safe as we can. But I don't don't think we have to live in fear either. I think sometimes people like are anticipating the worst case scenario in every situation. And I think it's a fine line between, you know, recognizing the risk and the dangers, but then also trying to just live our life and do those things that we're wanting to do. And I think like, for example, you know, water safety is a big thing of that, you know, so many things that can happen so quickly if we're not paying attention or we're careless or, you know, just accidentally. And so trying to be as safe as we can and always, you know, there's, you know, water is one of those things that we we always want to respect it, you know, especially like if it's a river, we want to respect, you know, the, the undertow and how fast the river is moving, things like that, even a a stable body of water, you know, we can lose our footing and, and slip and trip. And so it's one of those things we're always trying to be cautious while still trying to enjoy ourselves, trying to be healthy in those ways. Yeah, we don't want to anticipate fear every, you know, in every single scenario to the point where it makes things, you know, unenjoyable. No, absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, The reason we are saying that is to prevent those situations. One of the Mm -hmm. things I was going to say with not only mental planning, but emergency planning uh, that that helps us all. For example, if anything happens to electrical situations in the home, just know where is the electrical box to shut Mm. them off, for example. Uh, So, you know, have a plan for any medical equipment you know know where you can find them because i know sometimes we are so off uh you know that we can't even remember where are things you know <laughs> but then when, when we know i'm one of them but i'm actually preaching to out loud to myself that i have to know exactly where things are in case of emergency because um it's important that your phone is charged for example if you're out of the house or even in the house somewhere that something may happen to you, is your phone charged? You know, um, when you're leaving the home, make sure, you know, lights are off or your uh, if you have anything on the oven or in the oven or on the stove. I mean, these are things that we may think it's simple and it's obvious, but sometimes we are so busy mentally that we forget about these little things. And pre- when we say preparation, just know these things because, because things happen in life and you need to be prepared, not to afraid, but be prepared. I think preparation gives you power. So it's powerful to know, okay, if, if there's anything to do with electricity, I know how to shut it off. If the gas pump is something wrong with that, I know where to shut it off or the water, all of that, I think we sometimes feel like these are the male things, but not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, spouses or people that we rely on are always mm-hmm. around. So we need yeah. to uh, just have the knowledge. Yeah, definitely. I think it's something that everybody in the family should know those things. And yeah, I should talk about it. It was just like, in case something happens, we know how to turn off the water, or we know how to, uh, you know, turn off the power, things like that. So all right. Uh, so um, I know we are getting to the end of our program. Um, I know Dr. Rockers had to leave. Um, so it's only me and Dr. Andrade. So we, as usual, we sort of end our program with a uh, summing up 
our conversation and say the final statement? Yeah, I'd start with just encouraging people. It's not always that bad things happen to, to other people or that, you know, bad things even happen to us. It's just like, sometimes the things happen. And so we want to, you know, remove the judgment from, you know, who and, and how those things can happen, but instead focus on, you know, what are those ways that we're being safe and we're being cautious, you know, definitely want everybody to, you know, enjoy their summer and, and enjoy the water. Um, and just being, you know, cautious in that way where we're taking all those necessary measures to, to keep ourselves safe and, and our family safe as well. And I want to recommend, although I'm very adventurous and I always go for something <laughs> that I haven't even had any, um, you know, preparation for. I'm just saying it's so important not to put yourself into a situation that you don't know where you're going, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually preaching to myself. Um, so <laughs> just be cognizant of what, uh, you know, you're getting into because sometimes uh, we do some dangerous stuff that afterwards you go, well, thank God I am out of it safe. <laughs> so be always cognizant of what sort of activities you're doing and how much capable you are of doing that. With that, I want to thank my friend and my colleague, Dr. Andrade. And we will come back tomorrow to converse about some other psychological topics. سرد درختا یادگاری نبشتی با من اندوه جدایی نمیدانی چه ها نفرین به دست سر تو را از من جدا
خاطرت آید که آن شب از جنگل ها گذشتی بر تن سرد درختان یادگاری نوشتی با من اندوه جدایی نمیدانی چه ها نفرین به دست سرنوشت تو را از من جدا کرد بی تو بر روی دلم را شکستی خاطراتم را به یادم هر جا بی من نشستی رادیو بامداد صدای ما و شما با زبانی آشنا